Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. Okay, so uh, like I said, we've been um, going through Paul's letter to the Colossians. And uh, very appropriately, Paul, and very conveniently, Paul has included for us um, in the very section that we're busy with something about baptism. So, uh, yeah, I think, I think that's quite a, um, I almost want to say divine coincidence. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, let's look at uh, Colossians chapter 2. <clears throat> um, yeah, so Paul's, Paul's letter to the Colossians, he, he writes it to a group of people who are committed Christians, a church, a functioning church, and have been for, for some time. So they, they know Christianity, they know the gospel, and yet Paul has, you know, obviously from the reports that he heard from guys like Epaphras and so on, who, who was leading the church, who planted the church, that they were in danger of being deceived. And it's interesting, you know, in chapter 2, um, you know, about four times, Paul says, let no one delude you. Let no one take you captive. Let no one judge you. Let no one deceive you. Um, because there was the danger of, of that very thing happening uh, in, in, in the, the life of the church. And they were in danger. They were starting to fall for these deceptions and so on. And um, Paul was saying the gospel is enough. Jesus is enough. Uh, let me just read from uh, Colossians 2. I'm, I'm just going to focus on verse 11 and 12, but I'll, I'll read um, a few verses around it as well. So in, in verse 11, it says, In him also you were circumcised. So, so when he says in him also, you, um, in, in him you were also circumcised, um, probably a better translation, the word chi, which is, by the way, the most common word in the Greek New Testament. It means and, <laughs> chi, uh, and, and it makes up 10% of the Greek New Testament. So if you know the word chi, you know 10% <laughs> of, of the words in the Greek New Testament. Congratulations. <laughs> you are a Bible scholar. <laughs> um, but so, so usually it means and, but it can also, in context, mean also, as here, uh, or as it's translated here, or even. Um, and I actually think the translators got it a bit wrong here. Yeah, I think in, in context, it should, be, um, it should be translated even, not, not also. Um, so he's saying, in him you were even circumcised. And then he goes on and say, and baptized. Um, and the reason for that in verse 9, he says, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. So, so he's saying here, these false teachers are saying to you, if you want the fullness of God, you need something else besides Jesus and the gospel. And Paul is saying, no, <laughs> no. In Jesus is all the fullness of the deity, and in him you have been filled with all that fullness. And then he says, you have even been circumcised in him because if you go, read on he, he says let no one judge you know a few verses later he says let no one judge you with regard to a, a festival or a new moon or a sabbath 
you know, Jewish festivals and stuff. And then he says, for, for these things are the shadows, but Christ is the substance. So clearly there was someone who was judging them and saying, what you have is not good enough because you're not keeping the Jewish law. You're not celebrating the Jewish festivals. You're not circumcised. And then Paul says, no, no, no. All the fullness is in Christ, and you have all the fullness in Christ. You've even been circumcised in Christ. I, I have a friend down in, in Cape Town, and, um, you know, like, unfortunately, like, like many well-meaning but deceived South Africans, he's turned away, this father of his turned away from Jesus and the gospel and turned towards Judaism, even to the point of being physically circumcised. Um, and and I, I'm, I understand to some extent where that desire comes from. You know, Israel and, 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 and the Jewish nation, um, they're the covenant people of God from whom, uh, to whom the covenant promises are given and from whom the Jewish Messiah, the, the Jewish anointed king comes so so i understand why many christians want that connection but but here's the point what what so many christians miss is that we have that connection we have that connection in the most important way that there is in christ you have been circumcised so in christ the, the Jewish Messiah, Christianity is a Jewish religion. Its roots are Jewish. Jesus was a Jew. All the apostles were baptized Jews. It's based on the Old Testament Jewish scriptures. It's thoroughly Jewish. It's Messianic Judaism. That's what Christianity is. It's Messianic Judaism. So, you know, even though I am not ethnically or genetically a Jew... I am an honorary Jew because I'm in the Jewish Messiah. I'm in Christ. And I've been circumcised in Christ. How do you become part of the Jewish nation? By being born into it and being circumcised. You can also be a proselyte who converts to Judaism, but then you also have to be circumcised. And that sort of, you go through a whole process, and, and the end of that process is being circumcised. Um, in other words... If you are a Christian and you are in Christ, then you are a Jew in the most important sense of the word. Maybe not physically, maybe not ethnically or genetically, but spiritually you are a Jew. So if you're, if you're a Christian, I want you to turn to your neighbor and say to them, I'm a Jew. <laughs> I'm part of the Jewish people. You're an honorary Jew. All Christians, all Christians are honorary Jews. We've been grafted into... We've, as, as wild olive tree branches, we've been grafted into the olive tree of the Jewish nation. Did you realize that? And, and th that's why it's so strange that so many people would want that and would actually turn away from Jesus. The only way a Gentile, the only legitimate way nowadays that a Gentile can be part of the true Israel is through the Jewish Messiah. And, and it, it, that's why it's so strange and why so many people like that, that friend of, uh, uh, of mine, his father, would turn away from, from Jesus and towards Judaism when Jesus is the only legitimate way into the promises and the covenants of Judaism. So he's, all the fullness, so he's, he's saying to the Colossians, and we need to hear that clearly, 
All the fullness is in Christ, and you have all that fullness in Christ. You have even been circumcised in Christ. Let me read that for us. In Him, you, have even, uh, uh, you were even circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So I'm just going to be focusing on those first two verses, verse 11 and 12. We can just bring up the the next slide. I just sort of put it there because I want you to see that the main idea is he says, in him also you were circumcised, or or like I said, a better translation is probably in him you were even circumcised. And then he, he says a few things about the circumcision, and that's why I indented it there so you can see that the, the second, third, and so on lines modify the first line. So, so he says, in him you were even circumcised. And then he describes the circumcision. With the circumcision made without hands, number one. Number two, by putting off the body of the flesh. And number three, by the circumcision of Christ. And then number four, having been buried with him in baptism. And then he describes the baptism. And he says, in which, in which baptism you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So what Paul is, is saying here is don't fall for this idea that you have to turn away from Jesus and the gospel towards Judaism and the old covenant because you already have everything that matters about Judaism and the old covenant in Christ. You were even circumcised. And it's interesting to me when I, when I thought about it, he says basically... All the fullness dwells in Christ, and you've been filled in Christ. How? By being circumcised and baptized. In other words, how do you get filled in Christ? He's telling us, if you're a Christian, he's telling you and me what has already happened to us. We've been circumcised in Christ. In other words, there's something that has been taken away. And you've been baptized in Christ. In other words, you've been dunked. You've been immersed in something. You've been marinated, soaked in something that adds. So something has been taken away and something has been added. And often something has to be taken away so that something else can be added. Right? And he says what has been taken away is the flesh. That's how you are filled with Christ, is by the flesh being taken away and then you're baptized into Christ, um, into, into Him. So it's... It's interesting that, that this, um, he uses the circumcision about the new covenant about Christians. Um, in Genesis 17, um, you know, if you want to look at what circumcision is, it says, God says to Abraham, This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins. And it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Now, the interesting thing here is that many people think that circumcision is is the sign of the Mosaic covenant, the the covenant of Moses, the old covenant. But it's not actually the the sign of the old covenant or the the Mosaic covenant. It's the sign of the Abrahamic covenant, which precedes the old covenant. Okay? 
Um, and he says, physical circumcision is a sign of being part of the covenant. And it happens only to the males with a circumcision, the cutting away of the foreskin. Now, in, that's, the, that's physical circumcision. And later on in Colossians 2, he goes on to say that all of those things of the old covenant are shadows. But the substance is in Christ. And the same is true about circumcision. Physical circumcision that God gave to Abraham was just a shadow. The substance, the true thing, is in Christ. And the amazing thing about this in the New Covenant, he says, you have been circumcised. In him, in Christ. Everyone who is in Christ has been circumcised. He doesn't say, all the males in Christ have been circumcised. Can you see how this circumcision made without hands, done by Christ, is actually greater than the circumcision of the Old Covenant? Because the circumcision of the Old Covenant was only done to Jewish males. But the circumcision of the New Covenant is clearly done to men and women in Christ. Ladies, turn to your neighbor and say, say to them, I've been circumcised. <laughs> Peter's like <laughs> you have spiritually you have been circumcised and it's not a new thing when Paul said this it was not it's, it, it wasn't even supposed to be controversial or strange because it was prophesied in the Old Testament let's go to a few scriptures that prophesied one of the scriptures that prophesied uh, two of them actually are in Deuteronomy Deuteronomy 10 verse 16 if you can just Throw that up onto the screen. That's already Moses speaking, you know, in the, in the law of Moses. It's, it's in Deuteronomy 10, 16. It says, circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. In other words, he says, this physical circumcision, you must have it to be part of the people of God. Otherwise, you're cut off from the people of God because you don't have the sign of the covenant. But what I really want is for this external physical sign to point to something internal. Something that is done to the heart, the callousness, the, 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 the carnality, the fleshliness of the heart, the stubbornness of the heart being cut away. That's what it really points to. And that's really what God, from the beginning, wanted to happen. Okay? And in, in Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, it says, um, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all, uh, so that, that you may live. Um, so, so he's saying, firstly, in, in, in chapter 10 of Deuteronomy, he says, you circumcise your hearts. But God knows that Israel will not effectively circumcise their hearts and cut away the stubbornness. So he says eventually at the end of the room, I'll circumcise your heart. There's coming a time when I will circumcise your hearts. And he does that in Christ. Now, now what does he mean with a, with a circumcision of, of the heart? He, he says, um, you've, been, you, you've even in, in him, in Christ, you've even been circumcised. And then he says, with a circumcision made without hands. And then he refers to it as the circumcision of Christ. So it's not physical. It's clearly not physical circumcision. He's, he's saying physical circumcision is not enough. In fact, that's the thing that the false teachers are saying must happen to them. They must receive physical circumcision. And Paul is saying, no, 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 no. You've already been circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. It's a, a clearly internal circumcision, a circumcision of the heart. But how does, it, how does that happen? 
one scripture that where Paul... Now, when I, when I preach, I don't want to just give you a message. I also want to give you a method. I, I don't just want to tell you this is what the Bible says. I want to help you learn to discover for yourselves what the Bible said. Because all of us have the privilege and the responsibility to interpret Scripture for ourselves. So one of the principles of what's called hermeneutics. I mean, you're like, hermen who? <laughs> no, hermeneutics is just the, 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 the science and art of, of interpretation. You know, you get hermeneutics when you interpret art. You get hermeneutics when you interpret literature. And then you get biblical hermeneutics, which is, you know, the art of interpreting Scripture. Now, one of the main principles is this. Scripture interprets Scripture. Th- that's obvious, right? Uh, but it's, it's, it's so powerful when we actually apply it. And more specifically, you know, the best part of Scripture to interpret a letter from Paul is another letter from Paul. Okay, so allow Paul to interpret Paul. Don't tell Paul what you want him to mean by what he's saying. You go and listen to what he intends to communicate to you. Okay, and and one of the places where we where we see Paul in another le- of his letters speaking again about circumcision of the heart is in at the end of of Romans chapter two. It says in in verse twenty eight and twenty nine, for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly. In other words, it's just outwardly circumcised. Nor is circumcision outward or physical. True circumcision is not just outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. And the letter here is the, the, the law written on tablets of stone, as opposed to the law written on the tablets of our heart by the spirit. Um, his praise, such a Jew is a Jew not just outwardly by being outwardly circumcised, but inwardly by having his heart circumcised, is... Um, his praise is not from man but from God. So a Jew is, even in, in a, a true Jew is not one who is outwardly um, a Jew, but he's inwardly a Jew and his circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit. So, so what Paul says is this circumcision done without hands is done in the heart and it's done by the Spirit. That's the circumcision of the heart. And that's why the new covenant was given. The new covenant is a fulfillment of Deuteronomy 30 verse 6 where God says, I will circumcise your hearts. We, as Christians, are the fulfillment of that. And that's why in other places, like in in Galatians, uh, towards the end of Galatians, Paul says, um, refers to the church, the Christians, as the Israel of God, the true Israel or the Israel of God. And he's, he's, he's saying that the Jewish and Gentile church... The church, which is both Jewish and Gentile, is the true Israel of God. Um, So we don't have to be physically circumcised. He says, you have even been circumcised. In him, you have even been circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. And then he says, through the, you know, cutting off or the shedding of the body of the flesh. Now, what does he mean by that? What does Paul mean by that? The putting off or the shedding of the body of the flesh. Um, Often, Paul would use the word flesh, sarx in the the Greek, to to refer to physical body, but also to sinful nature and also to to, um, natural descent. So it's a very 
you know, it can be used in different contexts. The word soma that is translated their body is always only used for body. It's never used for flesh. So why is he saying the body of the flesh? The, the, the flesh is here in context refers to the sinful nature. And what he's referring to, in other places he also says, no, I, don't, I don't have enough time to go through all of them, but he says, you have put off the old man, the body of sin, the body that is subject to sin, the body that is captive to sin. And, and what he's referring to here when he says the putting off the body of the flesh is the putting off the body insofar as it is um, enslaved to the flesh. In other words, what Paul is saying here is that before the fall, if I can just sort of give like a big picture Bible view of it, before the fall, Adam and Eve were able not to sin. Then after the fall, they were not able not to sin. Humanity inevitably sinned. But now he's saying humanity that was subject, that's, whose bodies were subject to the flesh, the sinful nature, and were enslaved to sin through the flesh, after you've been circumcised with the circumcision done without hands, this cutting off, this putting off the body of the flesh, you are no longer subject to the body. Your body is no longer subject to the flesh, to the sinful nature. So you are now able not to sin again. And then one day in heaven, you will be not able to sin. That's something I look forward to. <laughs> when you have a glorified body, a glorified mind, and you are perfected and you are changed to be like Jesus in the twinkling of an eye. Um, and he says this circumcision is not done by human hands. He refers to it as the circumcision of Christ. Uh, now, you know, some theologians sort of argue about this. What does this mean? Does it mean Christ has been circumcised? Does it refer to his crucifixion? Or is, it, you know, is Christ the object of the circumcision, object of genitive, the object of the circumcision, he's been circumcised? Or is, the sub, is he the subject of the, of the circumcision? Is he the one doing the circumcision? And in context, it's clear that this is a subject of genitive. This is saying this circumcision done without hands is done by Christ. He's the one performing the circumcision in your heart to cut away the body of the, the flesh and to free you from captivity to your sinful nature. And then he goes on and he says, having been buried with him in baptism. So the circumcision... Another way of describing it is as a baptism. The baptism and the circumcision happen at the same time. Now, notice what Paul's doing here. Both circumcision and baptism, what are they? They are rites and rituals of initiation. Circumcision was initiation into the old covenant people of God. And baptism, in a sense, is, circum is, is initiation, is a rite of initiation into the new covenant people of God. All right? And he's saying, in Christ, those are the same thing. You have been initiated through circumcision into the old covenant, but also into the new covenant, because the new covenant is just a fulfillment of the old covenant. It's not separate. It's not divorced from the old covenant. And, and here, this is actually, interestingly enough, the main scripture used by uh, what's called pedo-baptists, people who baptize infants, you know, as opposed to credo-baptists, people who baptize believers, okay? 
Um, this is the main scripture. And the, uh, the, the argument is that baptism in the new covenant replaces circumcision in the old covenant. That's the argument. Okay? And, <clears throat> I mean, already, just based on what we've already seen, you can see that that doesn't work. Because the circumcision that Paul is talking about here is not physical circumcision. It's circumcision of the heart. And therefore, the baptism cannot be physical baptism. I mean, it's not like Paul would be saying, you know, the physical external ritual of initiation of the old covenant wasn't good enough. But the physical external initiation of the new covenant, that's good enough. <laughs> no, he's not saying that. He's saying what needs to happen, just, just like the circumcision was done without hands and done by Christ, so the baptism is also done without hands and done by Christ. It's the same thing. Now, is there a baptism that we know of that is, number one, done without ha human hands, number two, done by Christ, and number three, in the spirit, like the circumcision? Yes, Justin, you want to answer? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, Luke 6, 3 verse 16 says, <clears throat> John the Baptist, he says, He answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. That's the one baptism that Jesus does. He baptizes in the Spirit. And he, it's a baptism done without human hands. It's not a physical baptism. Just like it's not a physical circumcision. And what he says is that this baptism, and, and, and here's the problem. When you read water baptism in this text. Now, you, you'll notice that if you just go back to, um, to um, Colossians 2, verse 11 and 12, just go back to it. He says, having been buried with him in baptism. You, you'll notice if you read that, it doesn't talk about water. It doesn't mention water. You have to read water into it. You have to read water baptism into it because it doesn't talk about that. You have to assume it. So if you assume, and, and the church throughout the ages have done this, the church, church throughout the ages have read water baptism into scriptures where Paul is not talking about water baptism. He's talking about spirit baptism. And he says this baptism, in this baptism, which is done without hands by Christ, you are buried with Christ and you are raised with him. Now, if you read water baptism into that, then you have to say, like the church has often said, that water baptism saves you. Because it's in water baptism that you are buried and resurrected in Christ. And then it's the most natural thing in the world to say, well, I want my children to be saved. So let me baptize them as quickly as possible so that they can be buried with Christ and resurrected with Christ. But the problem is reading water baptism into a scripture that doesn't talk about water baptism. And it's so sad that the church has made the exact mistake throughout the ages made the exact mistake that Paul is warning the Colossians against. They focused on the physical outward shadow rather than the inward substance which is in Christ and missed the point completely. So, let me just show you another scripture. Remember we said scripture interprets scripture and let's allow Paul to interpret Paul. What does Paul mean with this 
baptism that Christ performs without human hands. In 1 Corinthians, I mean, he talks about it all over the place. In fact, most of the time when Paul talks about baptism in his letters, he's not talking about water baptism. Sometimes he does, but it's the exception. I, you know, I can think of you know, one or two places where Paul actually talks about water baptism. Most of the place, most of the time, he's, he's, he's not talking about water baptism when he uses the word baptism. And, and here, the, the clearest one is here in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12 and 13. He says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is, and, and here you expect him to say, so it is with the church. But he doesn't. He doesn't say, so it is with the church. He says, so it is with Christ. So it's important to note that he's using Christ and the church as not as um, synonyms, but as functional equivalents. Okay? If the only way you're part of the body is by being part of Christ, because it's the body of Christ. Okay? And then he goes on to say, and he says, For in one spirit you were all baptized into one body. And at the other places, like in Galatians 3, uh, Romans 6, and so on, he, he calls it the um, baptism into Christ. You've been baptized into Christ. Here he says you'll be baptized into the body. It's the same thing. Okay? Because he uses body and Christ as, as functional equivalents. In one spirit you were baptized. You were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and were all made to drink of the one spirit. It's the same thing that he's talking about here in 1 Corinthians 12 that he's talking about in Colossians 2. It's the same baptism. A baptism done without human hands, done by Christ, and done in the spirit. And the sad thing for me is that for so much of church history, we've, done, we've made exactly the mistake that the Pharisees made. What was the mistake that the Pharisees always made? They externalized things. You know, in the Shema, God would say to them, you know, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Um, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. Um, these words... Oh, these commands that I give you today will be on your heart and you'll uh, teach them diligently to your children. Then, then he t- talks about, you know, binding them to your head and to your hands. And you know what the Pharisees did? Yeah, they took, <laughs> they took little boxes called phylacteries and they put scriptures in them and bound them literally physically to the outside of their heads and to their hands. You'll even see many Orthodox modern Jews who do that, who, who on special occasions will walk around with phylacteries on their heads and, you know, the thing, you know, turned around their hands. And it once again misses the point because what God intended figuratively, they took literally. He says, bind it to your head. In other words, put it in your head. Put it in your brain. Memorize it. Think about it. Bind it to your hand. In other words... Base your actions on it. Base your thinking on it. Base your action and your life on it. Okay? And what we have done often as the church with baptism is exactly that. We have taken the external thing and made that the most important. Whereas the internal spiritual thing is actually the real, the real essence of it. And so many Christians throughout the ages have said... I don't have to get born again because I'm already baptized. I'm already Christians. I'm, I'm, I'm already christened, so I'm a Christian. And so many Christians who were baptized in water were never baptized in the Spirit. Were never bap- were baptized with human hands have never been baptized with, by Christ. 
and will come to heaven one day and Jesus will say to them, and they'll think they are Christians and Jesus will say to them, I never knew you. You thought you knew me, but I never knew you because I never baptized you. I never circumcised you. I never made you part of my body. You never allowed me to. You were so focused on the shadow that you missed the substance. You were so focused on the external that you missed the internal. You were so focused on the physical that you missed the spiritual reality that is real. So when we read, for instance, Romans 6, verse 3 and 4, it says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Can you see what he's saying? He's not talking about physical water baptism. He's talking about spirit baptism through which we share. We, be, we are baptized into Christ and we are baptized into his death and into his resurrection. Now, let me just clarify here because many of you, like me, um, would be what's called classical Pentecostals. And, and, and that, that's sort of the... I, I grew up in the Dutch Reformed tradition and then I became a classical Pentecostal. And classical Pentecostals say that baptism in the Spirit is separate from and subsequent to conversion. Now, the problem with that is Paul disagrees with it. <laughs> He's saying baptism in the Spirit is conversion. Now, am I saying that unless you speak in tongues, you're not saved? No, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that you must be baptized in the Spirit. And that baptism in the Spirit, I mean, that's why Paul puts, when he talks about in one Spirit you are baptized into one body, he puts that in 1 Corinthians 12, where he's talking about the gifts. That will inevitably lead to the manifestation of the Spirit. To each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. It might be tongues, it might be prophecy, it, but there'll be some or other manifestation of the Spirit. So, Henny, are you saying that Acts chapter 2 was where the, the, the apostles got saved? Yes and no. Let me just explain that because this is where it confuses people. Okay? Weren't the apostles saved before, before Pentecost? Yes, they were saved, but they were saved under the old covenant. You see, they were already servants of God. They were already saved. If they died before Pentecost, they would have gone to heaven because they were saved under the old covenant. Their conversion to Christianity was a conversion from being saved under the old covenant to being saved under the new covenant. Something that is no longer possible for us. You go, we go from being unsaved because the old covenant is no longer available. It's already been fulfilled in Christ. Okay? The new covenant has replaced the old covenant. So we go from being unsaved to being saved under the new covenant. They went from being saved under the old covenant to being saved under the new covenant. And that's what often confuses us. Okay? So, so the apostles' conversion to Christianity, to the new covenant, was Pentecost. When they received the Holy Spirit. And if you know how to read Luke, that's exactly what he's saying in, in Acts. I, I did my master's thesis on this. And I discovered it to my shock. Because I, I believed that Acts chapter 2 and Pentecost was something else. Something subsequent to conversion. And then when I studied it in depth, I realized, oh my chonas. <laughs> this is not what I wanted it to be. This is not what I thought it was. This was in other words... Baptism in the Spirit is not less important than classical Pentecostals say. It's more important. 
it doesn't only empower you, it also, you're baptized in one spirit into the body, into Christ. And, and when you read Paul's letters with that understanding of baptism, all of a sudden it starts making sense. And all those confusing things about, so must people be baptized in water in order to be saved? All of those nonsense questions fall away because you understand what Paul is actually saying. He's not referring to water baptism, but to spirit baptism. But that does leave us with a problem. That does leave us with a problem. That, that means that Christianity is irreducibly an experience of the Holy Spirit. In other words, you cannot get saved and not know about it. You cannot get saved and, and things don't change. That's why Paul when he wants to test whether people are saved. In, in, in Acts chapter 19, he says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And he expects them to answer based on the experience. In, in Galatians 3, it does the same thing. Did you receive the Spirit by works of law, by believing what you heard? He assumes, his question assumes that the reception of the Spirit as conversion, as salvation, is an experiential reception that they'll know about if it happened to them. And that means that there are many Christians sitting in the church, and especially in Christianized nations like South Africa, who claim to be roughly 80% Christian, who, who say that they are Christians because they go to church, because they read their Bible, because they're raised in a Christian home, but they've never experienced this. They were never baptized in one spirit into one body. They never experienced the baptism of Christ, the baptism done without human hands. They're, Christ, they're nominal Christians. They're Christian in name, but not in reality. And if that's you, you need... Even if you were baptized in water, whether you were sprinkled with water or whether you would, were immersed in water, you need a different baptism. That water baptism means nothing without the spirit baptism. The, the baptism that people do to you means nothing without the baptism that Jesus does to you. And I just want to appeal to us in closing. If, if you haven't experienced that baptism, ask the Lord for it. Don't, don't leave here until, you've, until Jesus has baptized you in his spirit and into his body, into himself. Because that is also where, when he does that, when he baptizes you in that way without human hands, he also circumcises you. And, and maybe some of you have been saying, you know, why on earth? I mean, I am a Christian. Why, why do I struggle so much? You know, it's not like Christians don't struggle with sin, but at least they do struggle. Maybe you've been like, I don't actually struggle with sin. You know, I enjoy my sin. <laughs> but I'm supposed to be a Christian. I feel guilty because I'm enjoying my sin. You know? if, if that's you, maybe, maybe you need Christ to circumcise you. Cut away the body of the flesh. And if you are a Christian, if you have experienced this, then I want to encourage you. Make sure the people around you have experienced this. There are so many people in South Africa, probably at least half the Christians in South Africa, who claim to be Christians, who genuinely and sincerely think they are Christians, but Christ has never baptized them. People might have baptized them. The church might have baptized them, but Christ has never baptized them. Make sure that they experience that, the one thing without which you cannot be a Christian. 
Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.